why is trust part of this information course? Because first, our study of information is in large part a study of human behavior. We're always focused on behavior, specifically on effects. We're focused on behavioral effects with prejudice and impunity, and then walk back from there. Second, because in the block of our first five lessons on information strategy and great power competition, trust is the capstone. We've been building up to this lesson, specifically alliance building and strengthening trust with civil societies of allies, competitors, and adversaries is a long-term enduring avenue towards global stability, human rights, and human security. Third, because trust is arguably the most important foundation of strategic communications. And lessons six and seven that we'll have later in February, we are doing a deep dive into strategic communications. In fact, we dub February for this course, the Leadership and Communications Month. Trust is the capstone of our first block of lessons on information strategy and great power competition, as I said. And then it'll be a foundation for our leadership and communication going forward. This course is far greater than the sum of its lessons. And even the readings and videos we will visit again and again as we move forward. So please don't toss out Unrestricted Warfare or Mercier, for example, just yet. We'll be discussing two types of the phenomenon of trust in this podcast. One type, which I'll talk about at the end of the podcast, is trust that is quote-unquote surged. Methods to affect behavior when an audience does not trust us as the protagonist. An indirect trust. A trust by, with, and through others. A trust by proxy. We enable and empower locally trusted influencers within civil society instead of direct communications. This is accomplished through intermediaries and executed as silently, invisibly, and distantly as legal, as moral, as appropriate. Because the stamp of the U.S. government may often undercut the influence and seeming independence of these native influencers, these native networks, and these native narratives. The other type, which we'll talk about now, is trust that is deeply earned, hard won, through shared experiences, shared challenges, earned over years, decades, and often generations. And these lessons apply equally to person-to-person trust, as well as building trust between nations. The need and want for trust are built into our brains. The limbic system favors long-term trust cooperation and has unlikely changed from the pre-cognitive revolution clan society of homo sapiens to survive those in a clan had to deeply trust one another communicating threats and opportunities honestly so a little bit on storytelling and trust or communications and trust storytelling can be a very important element when building trust or when strengthening trust Our brains are well-equipped to consume a quote-unquote good story. Good stories typically incorporate one or more winning features such as surprise, suspense, or strong emotional balance. These not only enhance entertainment value, but they also rapidly engage our neurobiology or the neural architecture of our brains to make stories more memorable, allowing learning writ large as well as sustainable understanding of a society's foundational principles. And there's a number of neurobiological uh, actors that engage or allow a narrative to engage people. There's a number of hormones and neuromodulators such as uh, oxytocin that may be released in response to identifiable characters and result in increased trust and empathy on the part of the story's audience. 
And this can boost a listener's sense of belonging with the group and also perhaps against an outside threat. One might say that people are biologically tuned to devour some types of compelling storytelling or that human biology dictates the criteria for, which makes, for what makes a story compelling. As Carmon Gallo states, storytelling is not something we do. Storytelling is who we are. The following are just a few elements of narrative, which include identity, meaning, story, and purpose that may help us understand the crossroads of communication and trust. So these are in addition and doing a slightly deeper um, dig or a deeper analysis of some of the elements that we talked about regarding narrative back in September. One is this idea of reflection of an audience. According to Dr. Ajit Mann, the narrative itself, in order to be received as credible, must reflect the experiences of the audience. Because narratives differ greatly from area to area, this narrative characteristic points up the importance of amplifying local voices versus just top-down government-led messaging campaigns, which we'll talk a little more about at the end. It also speaks to the importance of emphasizing the you in a story. Some even suggest that successful influencers often speak about serving the audience. Deeds. A narrative may be effective when wedded to deeds, or the deeds themselves, if reported, may act as a narrative. A narrative campaign can be, and I'm quoting here from Angela Covila, usually driven home by policies consistent with the statement. And he goes on to say, overt policy forcefully backed by reality is the most powerful tool of political warfare. Next is the idea of congruence. Congruence is often necessary for people to listen to a message and believe the storyteller. Some people in some cultures, for, cultures, for example, may distrust someone that smiles and says, so great to meet you when meeting someone new. You do not know the person. The greeted may not understand why it is great to meet a stranger and why meeting a stranger deserves a smile. The smile and hyperbole may be signs of a con in that culture. That's not necessarily the case for some places in the United States. Congruence is also important for a company or government. For example, if a college's website suffers from multiple spelling, syntax, and grammatical errors, would-be students and employees may rightfully be hesitant about the school. If the school took such little care with its URL that advertises its merits to the world, what else are they careless about? Even if the technical department was behind the errors, surely professors and staff and leadership and students would care about their institution enough to request corrections. Distrust from incongruity is rampant in human resources offices of government agencies, some government agencies and corporations alike, historically. If a job candidate's first impressions are with a rude HR office and the labyrinth application form and processes and perhaps an uncaring office, that might be a bellwether for people to say, well, that's not a very caring organization writ large when that's not necessarily the case. Likewise, a lock company or store should not have a broken lock at the front door. A for-profit, or I should say a two-person nonprofit in a developing country may send the wrong message if they are spending their donations on the sleekest and most cutting-edge web server. A sign corporation should have a good sign. A logo corporation should have a stunning logo, and a cyber firm 
should have a flawless web platform, and so on. First impressions are important, as or more important is correcting mistakes to ensure congruity. People may trust those that say what they mean and mean what they say. People and institutions should present themselves as they truly are or as they truly strive to be, and congruity may instill distrust and even turn would-be advocates against an organization or person. Something else to consider, story versus statistics. A narrative may only persuade some audiences through convincing evidence and data. An emotive story that illustrates the narrative may be more effective with other audience, alone or in addition to statistics. Even when providing statistics, ensuring clear transmission of meaning is important. If we employ numbers and forego an emotive story, we should at least seek to make statistics and the phenomena they underline, along with calls to action about a clear and present danger, for example, meaningful and understandable. The next aspect is coherence. As narrative scholar Steve R. Corman describes, and I quote, narrative coherence is the tendency to assess communications based on whether their stories or implied stories make sense structurally. This considers factors like whether the sequence of events is consistent, the actors and their actions are plausible, and the resolution happens as it should. And another thing to think about, fidelity. And this is in contrast to coherence. This is another quote from Stephen Corman, who maintains, and I quote, narrative fidelity involves assessing whether the stories ring true, whether they are plausible with respect to the experiences and values of the audience. And now to what I might call indirect trust. This is enabling narratives that already exist and native networks and narratives in an area and allow them to flourish. Specifically, this theory I call constants and resonance theory. For my Influence Warfare Fall students, we discuss this one theory in the context of only influence. For this course, we must widen our aperture to strategic communications, information strategies, and persuasion strategies. As the Department of Homeland Security Secretary stated in 2017, I know from visiting numerous communities across this country that very often the best efforts, in this case, to counter violent extremism are local, are local tailored to a particular community. And according to Nathan Sales, the former counterterrorism coordinator at the Department of State, community leaders, neighborhood leaders have a comparative advantage. Communications looks like early intervention and not necessarily, maybe not ideally, by government officials. He's talking in the context here, again, of countering violent extremism. He goes on to say, they will know more, this is communities, will know more than government officials will about problems they might be cro- that might be cropping up, and they also have a way to intervene in a way government people may not understand. And from Richard Stengel, Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy in 2016, stated that we are not always the best messengers. Instead, we strive to support and empower a global network of partners, from NGOs to foreign governments to religious leaders who can act as more credible messengers to target audiences. And he goes on to say, eventually, we will not require U.S. government messaging at all because NGOs, local governments, partners, incredible voices are effectively drowning out violent extremist messages of hate. So again, 
This quote focuses on counterterrorism, countering violent extremism, but certainly can be applied in the context of great power competition and national security writ large. Writ large. So consonance theory. Literally, consonance is a harmony among entities. Practically, consonance involves finding native networks and native narratives that share an influencer's goals, that share our goals, for example. Consonance in the context of strategic communications is an exercise in extreme pragmatism as a guide for helping policymakers and scholars towards viewing the world as spheres of overlapping control and influence, even inside and across political boundaries. Consonance theory in action is more than understanding the efficacy of a certain power system's ability to fight or influence without fighting. It calls for an understanding of will, of motivation, of patience, and other unquantifiable qualities, or hard-to-quantify qualities. Constant theory's unit of measurement is not necessarily the state, but instead systems that control or have the the capability to control people and or land, or at least influence greater populations or events. It necessitates analyzing these units or systems without prejudice towards formal titles or Westphalian borders. And resonance. Literally, resonance is the reinforcement by the synchronous vibration of another entity. Practically, resonance comprises the actions an influencer may take to leverage, empower, enable, or allow a constant system's actions. Resonance in the context of strategic, strategic influence and persuasion and strategic communications defines the how with regards to leveraging said systems that become the witting or unwitting agents of influence or agents of communications. Resonance suggests a minimalist, perhaps distant, silent, or invisible process. A state attempts to amplify or enable a movement's success, and said movement's success then furthers that state's goals. It is not the creation of something new. It is only the reinforcement or prolongation of means and ends between two constant bodies already in action. It is a non-competitive, non-zero-sum game in which both parties benefit from an influencer's amplification or enabling. It does not necessarily even assume action. Sometimes, very often, actually, the best course of action is to do nothing, is to make sure you don't get in the way, to observe and report from a distance. Thank you.